longest time we've been in this series, The Lord God of Elijah. I think probably I'll have only maybe one or two messages uh, after tonight in this series. Not that we couldn't have some more, but we're going to be wrapping it up. And within the next few weeks, I'm going to be beginning a series of messages on on the Bible. Now, all of the messages are from the Bible, but I'm talking about a series of messages on the Bible, uh, how we got the Bible. And we're going to go back and we're going to look at a lot of different things and trace the history of the Bible, and hopefully it'll be uh, very helpful. It's, uh, I haven't given the series a name yet, but I think if I did, it probably would be after the name of a book that was written probably 25 years ago with the name of the battle for the Bible. Because I'm telling you what, there is a battle going on today in that regards. And so, but anyway, we'll tell you more about that later. Second Kings chapter number eight, we begin in verse seven. And Elisha came to Damascus and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, saying, The man of God is come hither. The king said unto Hazel, Take a present in thine hand, and go meet the man of God, and inquire the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover of this disease? So Hazel went to meet him, and took a present with him, even of every good thing of Damascus, forty camels uh, uh, burden, and came and stood before him and said, Thy son Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, hath sent me to thee, saying, Shall I recover of this disease? And Elisha said unto him, Go say unto him, Thou mayest certainly recover, howbeit the Lord hath showed me that he shall surely die. And he settled his countenance steadfastly until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. And Hazel said, Why weepest, my Lord? And he answered, Because I know the evil that thou wilt do unto the children of Israel. Their strongholds wilt thou set on fire, and their young men wilt thou slay with the sword, and will dash their children and rip up their women with child. And Hazel said, But what is thy servant, a dog, that he should do this great thing? And Elisha answered, the Lord hath showed me that thou shalt be king over Syria. So he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What said Elisha to thee? And he answered, He told me, Thou surely, shouldest surely recover. And it came to pass on the morrow that he took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it on his face so that he died. And Hazel reigned in his stead. I want you to notice in verse number seven the word, the first word, and. That connects it with the story that has gone before. And those of you who were present when we went through those verses will remember that we saw the story there of a faithful woman. But now we see the story of an unfaithful man. In the former, we see how a woman's property was restored to her. But in this story, we see how a king's throne was taken from him. 
I want you to consider three things tonight in regards to this unfaithful servant. First of all, there's the inquiry of the king. And if you go back and you read in 2 Kings chapter 1, and you look there in that very first chapter, the first four verses, you see an interesting contrast. And I, I don't have time to develop this tonight, but it's something to think about, because there you see Israel's king seriously ill, and he inquires of the heathen god, Beelzebub, concerning his health. Now, here's a heathen king, and the heathen king is inquiring of the God of Israel concerning his health. Something about that just doesn't sound right. You've got God's people acting like the world, and a man of the world going to God's people looking for the solution to his problems. In other words, God's king is acting like a pagan, and he's acting like God's king should have been. Now, it ought to be easy to make an application to that today, because you know as well as I do that for the most part, you go from church to church and throughout our nation, and the sad thing is you can't hardly see any difference between people that say they're Christians and those that make no profession of faith. And that is a horrible indictment against the people of God. We ought to be different. I'm not talking about being different just for the sake of being different. I'm talking about being different because we adhere to the principles of God's Word, and that will make us different just by following the Word of God. Now, notice in this inquiry from the king, first of all, notice the subject of it here in verse number 7. He's sick. And he's inquiring about his health. You know, when people are not concerned about anything else, they get concerned when they get sick. And they get concerned about the prospect of death. I mean, listen, sickness and death has a way of getting our attention. I mean, it makes us stop and think. And, and you know yourself. I mean, you can do without money. You can do without a lot of different things. But, boy, when you're on... Your deathbed, it's a whole different ballgame. And this is what's going on. And he wants to know. But notice the person to whom the inquiry was directed. He sends his servant to the prophet. Now, that's interesting to me because when you look back and trace the story, you'll see that he had tried to capture the prophet. And now he's calling for the prophet. At one time, he despised the prophet but now he's calling upon the prophet. Something had happened. For one thing, he's sick. But I think there's more to it than that. I really believe that Elisha had won his respect and his confidence. Something about Elisha was different than all of the false prophets. And he understood that. And so when it comes down to where the rubber meets the road, and this guy is thinking, I just might die. I need an answer. Where does he turn? He turns to the man of God. And you see, our friends, our co-workers, our classmates, people that we know, and mark it down, sooner or later, they're going to find themselves in a heap of trouble. Because it happens to all of us. 
at this juncture in their life, it might seem that they have absolutely no concern about spiritual things. It might be that you've even witnessed to them, and they just slam the door like, I don't want to hear it. I've got my own religious beliefs, and I'm not at all concerned about what you're saying. And their heart is just as hard as a rock. But you mark it down, you keep praying, and you keep living like Christ before them. And the day just might come when because of sickness or some other problem in their life, they're going to start looking for answers, and hopefully they'll come to you for the answers. Now remember, they're not going to come to us for the answers if we're living just like the world. Something about Elisha was different than all of the other preachers. And we know what that difference was, don't we? We can see the power of God manifested through his ministry. You know, along that same line, I think it's not only interesting that he came to Elisha, but I think it's very interesting here that Elisha did not refuse him or did not mock him. You know, one of the most difficult things for preachers to do is to love people and minister to people when they are in opposition against them. I know from first-hand experience, folks, that is difficult. When you're trying to help someone that well, hates your guts. You're trying to help somebody and they're trying to hurt you. You know, it would have been real easy for... Elisha to have said, look, buddy, you had your chance. He could have said, well, look, why don't you go to your heathen gods? Why don't you depend on them? He doesn't mock him. He does not refuse him. I mean, he is there and he is available. And that serves to remind us if we're going to be used of God, we have got to care about people who do not care about us. I'll say it again. We need to get this in our heart. We've got to learn how to care for people that do not care about us. Because the world doesn't care about you as a Christian. Mark it down. They don't care about you. They don't care about your God. They don't care about your religion. But the time will come when they've got a need, and hopefully they'll see that there is a difference in us. And they'll see that although they don't care about us, we care about them. And as a result of that, it will make them more responsive to our, to our message. Now, we see the subject, we see the person that he sent uh, the message to, but notice the means of the inquiry here. It tells us here that the king uh, sent Hazel, and this, this was, you know, somebody subordinate to the king, his, his, one of his servants, and he sends him. To go Now, I don't know a whole lot about this fellow except this. The king trusted him, right? Even kings have to trust someone, you know, whether it's their advisors or whoever it is, even kings have to trust somebody, and he's put his trust in this servant. Well, now notice what happens. The servant comes to Elisha. And I want you to notice not only the inquiry from the king, but the insight of the prophet. Look in verse number 10. And Elisha said unto him, Go, say unto him, Thou mayest certainly recover, howbeit the Lord hath showed me that he shall surely die. 
We're talking about the insight of Elisha. He knew the king's condition. Now, some folks have misunderstood this verse of Scripture. There are those who really believe that Elisha was lying, that he was telling the servant, go back, tell the king, yeah, he's going to be all right when he knows he's going to die. No, you're missing the point. He says the king shall recover from his illness, but he's going to die. You see, Elisha is in touch with God. Elisha knows what is going on. The Bible talks about David's men being aware of the times in which they lived. As Christians, we ought to be on top of these matters. When you pick up the newspaper or when you turn on the television, you watch the news, you ought to be so familiar with the Bible that whenever the Pope comes out and says some crazy thing like, well, it's time for us to appoint one, one person to, you know, head all of the, uh, the economies and so on and so forth, that there's something that goes off in your mind says, now wait a minute, doesn't the Bible talk something about, you know, a one world government and so on and so forth, a one world economy and all of this? Sure it does. We need to know what's going on. Now, I understand we don't know the little minute details like Elisha did. Remember, he's a prophet and none of us are prophets. We don't have that inside information, but we've got plenty of information in the Bible that helps us identify with the problems that's going on in the world today. So he knows the king's condition, but he also knew the servant's heart. This is really interesting. Look in verse 11, and he settled his countenance steadfastly until he was ashamed. In other words, he is, he's sitting there looking at the servant, the servant looking at the preacher, and they're staring at one another. Their eyes are just just locked. And notice it says, until he was ashamed. I mean, have you ever just stared someone eyeball to eyeball until you, you just were ashamed to look at them anymore and you turned your head? And, and, and then it says that, that he wept. And the servant, you know, he replies, you know, why are you crying? <laughs> what are you weeping about? Now, here's something interesting, and that is that he knew more about Hazel than he knew about himself. He said, because I know the evil that you're going to do to the children of Israel. In other words, I know what you're going to do. It had not been announced to anyone. Hazel had not discussed his plan with anyone. But somewhere in the depths of his heart, he was thinking, If I can get rid of that king, I'll be next in line and I'll run the show. And Elisha knows what's going on in his heart. Elisha knows that he's going to assassinate the king. And he says, yeah, the king's going to recover of his illness. He'll get over that. No problem. It's not unto death. But he's going to die. And the Lord has showed me, you're going to be the king. And he's just staring without uttering a word until he begins to weep. And then he explains in verse number 12, the future of Israel. You see, the plight of his people moved him to tears. He said, I know what you're going to do. And notice this is a horrible graphic description. 
He said, you're going to burn their strongholds and you're going to slay the young men with the sword, dash their little children and rip up their women with, with child. Well, that is a horrible picture. And you know, it might be that Hazel's thinking to himself, or at least he wants others to think, well, I'd never do anything like that. You think I'm a dog? I'd never do anything like that. But Elisha knows better. He knows what's going to happen. That he is going to declare war against Israel, and that he is going to abuse people like that. And it moves Elisha to tears. He is broken hearted. How can we not learn something from this? Folks, we live in a troubled world and it's getting worse and we, we ought to have the insight so that we can see what is going on and it ought to move us to tears when we think about the condition. I, listen, I fight this every single day. I can't tell you how many times and usually nearly every day at least one time I'll have an article prepared, something I see, and I'll say, I'm going to copy and I'm going to paste and I'm going to add a note to that and I'm going to send it out and I'll get it and I'll look at it and I'll read it and I'll think, no, no, no. I, I, I just can't get caught up in that any more than I am. But, it, I mean, I've sat there and looked at that computer screen with tears in my eyes thinking about, oh, dear God, what has happened to our nation today? You know, I'm not, I'm not looking at that from a selfish standpoint like how it's going to affect me. I'm thinking about my grandkids and your grandkids, and I'm telling you folks, unless there's revival or something happens, boy, there's some bad times coming. And that ought to concern us deeply. It ought to move us to tears. And that's what we see here. So, we have the inquiry from the king. I'm sick. Am I, am I going to die? Will I get over this? And I've got to find the answer. And the only place I know to go is to the man of God because he's different than all of the other preachers. And then we have here the insight of the prophet saying, Hey, buddy, I know what you're up to. I know when you get back, the king is going to recover of his illness, but you're going to take a washcloth and get it good and wet so the air can't get through it, and you're going to put it on his face, and you're going to smother him to death so you can become king. Now, that brings us down to the iniquity of the servant here in verse 14 and 15. And we've already read it. You know what it says here. He assassinated the king. Notice, he disregarded the prophet's warning. You know, God's knowledge of the future never interferes with man's freedom of choice. And this is where a lot of people really get confused, including especially, you know, those that are called Calvinists. They've got this idea that, well, you know, since God knows something, doesn't that make it so? And, you know, and, and so they say God knows who's going to heaven, God knows who's going to hell, and, you know, and so that just makes it so. That's the way that it is. I'll be the first to tell you I don't understand all about how God operates Neither do you. You might think you've got it figured out, but I want to tell you what, you're not nearly that smart. And neither is any theologian walking upon the earth smart enough to figure out the way God does what He does. But I know enough to know 
from the Bible that God's foreknowledge does not in any way clash with man's freedom of choice. If you go to hell, it'll be because you chose to reject Jesus Christ as your Savior. It will not be because God just arbitrarily decreed that He doesn't want you in His heaven. So He disregarded the prophet's warning. You know, isn't that where we all get ourselves in trouble when we hear the warning, we know what the Bible says, and we just totally ignore it? He's been warned. We think about our nation, and we look back, and we think about our forefathers, and we trace our history, you know, and we see the same thing. So how did we get in the mess that we're in today? It happened because individuals refused to heed God's Word just disregarded God's warnings. Secondly, he deceived the king. You know, a traitor within the camp is the worst enemy. I mean, here is a man who's taken advantage of the king's trust. Today, it's easy to see that, you know, loyalty is just about a thing of the past. I mean, after a while, you get to the point, you know, you just think to yourself, you know, I can't trust anybody. Haven't you felt that way? I met with the men yesterday, and I think about our trustees, and I think about our deacons and meeting together. And, and boy, I, I am so glad. Now, this, listen, this doesn't mean that, that, that all, all of these men, doesn't mean that, that I'm perfect, that we're never going to fail or anything. But I'm glad that we've got a group of men here in positions of leadership that I feel comfortable trusting. That means so much. And when I say trusting, I'm not just talking about their judgment in regards to business deals. I'm talking about trusting them in the sense that as, as the pastor of the church, that I can depend upon them to do what, to do what is right and what is best. And, and I, I don't go home at night worrying about if some of these guys are going to try to, you know, do something to ruin my ministry. I trust them, and I thank God for that. But I tell you, it hurts. And I remember when I first surrendered to preach, my pastor called me into the office. He said, I want to talk to you about some things. He said, you've surrendered. This was like a week after. And he said, there's just some things that you need to know. And he said, number one, on top of the list, don't ever forget it. He said, the people that you love the most and try to help the most are going to hurt you the most. He said, you need to understand that right now, because if you don't understand that, you're not going to make it. Boy, that, that you know, I, I thought to myself, well, you know, how can that be? I didn't understand it, you know, but it come from a reliable source, and I thought, well, it must be true, sure enough. Let me tell you, it's true. It's true. It's a horrible thing to not be able to trust people that you depend upon. He deceived the king. Then he devised a clever scheme. You know, a lot of people that are in prison, a lot of people that have committed horrible crimes, a lot of habitual criminals are really, in one sense, they're brilliant. I mean, they're intelligent. In other words, if they would use their intelligence to make an honest living, they could be millionaires. Instead of doing that... They like the thrill and the excitement, the exhilaration of committing a crime. It's like they're addicted to breaking the law. 
So this fellow devises a really a clever scheme. The king is sick. Everybody is thinking he's probably going to die. Now, I know that he's going to recover because Elisha just told me he would. But you know what? I have access to the king's bedchamber, and I, you know, I can be in there, nobody but me and the king, and all I've got to do is take this wet washcloth to look like maybe I'm wiping his brow and just hold it over his mouth and his nose until, until the dude expires. And I'll be king. So he thinks he's got it all figured out. He's got the plan laid, and then notice... The king dies. He becomes king. And I don't have time to talk about this. You can read it in chapter number 10. He declared war on Judah and Israel. In other words, exactly, exactly as Elisha had predicted, that is exactly what happened. Remember what he said to Elisha? Am I a dog that I would do something like that? Let me tell you, folks. We don't always know our heart. It is desperately wicked. And there are many times we think, and maybe we've said, you know, we, we look at what somebody else says and we say something like, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. But I'm telling you, when you take that first step away from God and you ignore God's warnings, there's no limit to how far you might go. That's why sin is so frightening. It's so scary. Now, let's sum all of this up and let's figure out what we can learn from this tonight. Let me just give you three or four things. Number one, be careful about who you trust. Second John verse 7 says, For many deceivers are entered into the world. And a lot of sincere people have been sorely misled by folks they thought they could trust. You be careful about who you trust. Somebody says, well, and you know, and I have people quite frequently ask me about maybe some preacher on TV, what do you know about him? And, what, you know, I've been listening to so-and-so. You be careful who you trust. Just because they use the name of Jesus and because they stand and they read the Bible and they sing the same songs that we sing, that doesn't mean you can trust them. Secondly, be conscious of selfish desires. Do you see what's going on here? His personal ambition prompted him to sin. His desire to become the king caused him to murder a man. Isn't it amazing that people are more concerned about getting what they want than they are about the pain that you will have to suffer in them doing what they do? I mean, you think about the king and you think about his family and now he's deceased and here's the funeral and he's lying in state and everybody's weeping and crying. A nation is hurting. Their king is dead. And here's this guy over here with a silly grin on his face trying to hide it thinking, now I'm the king. It's amazing how rotten human nature is and that's what we see. And you know that desire to get what we want, that's been the downfall of just about everybody. Think about Satan. Isn't that what the problem was? I mean, here is Satan, and God has created him in such a glorious fashion, and he's not satisfied with that. He said, I'll be like the Most High. In other words, I'm not satisfied being what God created me to be. I want to be like God. I want His place. Now, let's put some skin on that story. 
And it brings us to the story of Absalom, the son of David. And remember, can you imagine David, King David, who ushered in the golden years in the history of Israel? King David, the sweet psalmist of Israel? And his own son rising up in rebellion against him, trying to take, taking the kingdom away. When people determine, you know, to get what they want, they don't care who gets hurt in the process. You be aware of your selfish desires, then you be committed to the Word of God. He goes to Elisha on behalf of the king and he inquires as to the king's illness. And what happens? Elisha gives him a word of prophecy and a warning in that regards. And he totally ignores it. All of the Bible studies in the world is not going to do you any good if you ignore God's warnings. And here's another thing we need to learn, and that is be concerned about people. Elisha. Now, we think of, you know, those old prophets, you know, boy, I mean, they're rugged, two-fisted guys, and they don't have any feelings or emotions. Oh, no, listen, you've misread that entirely. I think about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And now I'm thinking about Elisha as he stands there and he looks at this guy knowing what's going down and, and all of a sudden he's crying his eyes out. If we lose our heart, our compassion for people, we're through. I don't care how much we know or what we do. If we don't care about people, we're not in business for God. And then one other thing, folks, and that is we've got to be courageous enough to do what is right. You know, Elisha could have said, uh, I know what's going on, but, but I don't dare risk my life in, in giving him this information. Remember, this is the guy that's going to become the king, the king of Syria, that's going to declare war on Israel And could very well, I mean, he could put him to death, I mean, right there on the spot. Whenever Elisha says, look, I know what you're going to do. And he could have pulled out a dagger and slit his throat, I guess, or made an attempt. None of that phased Elisha. We're living in a day and time where, listen, it's it's going to get tough. Now, you mark it down what I'm telling you. It's going to get tough. I don't know how many years away we are. The hate crimes law and stuff like that is going to put us as Christians on the spot. And we're going to have to make up our mind. Are we going to scotch our feet and take a stand for what is right? Or are we going to compromise and put ourselves out of business? We better have the courage to do what is right. To stand up for the truth. You know, in theory, that doesn't sound that difficult, does it? Right? I mean, I think all of us would say, well, I'll tell you what, I don't care what happens. I'm, I'm going to keep living for the Lord. I'm going to keep doing what's right. I'm not going to cave in. I'm not going to become politically correct and all of that. You know, that's, that's really quite easy for me to stand here and say that. But boy, when you're under the gun... And, and, and the, the sheriff 
officers, they're standing in the foyer and they're listening and they're monitoring the message. And I come to Romans chapter number 1 and I know the very minute that I condemn that sin that they're going to march in and arrest me and put me in jail. That's a whole different ball game. And we began to do all kinds of, you know, mental gymnastics and trying to figure out how we can reason all of this out and excuse our compromise. But when it comes right down to it, compromise is just tiredliness. That's all it is, folks. And we've got to make up our mind that we're going to have the courage to do what is right. And we'll never be able to do it unless we're filled with the Spirit of God God's Spirit is the only one that can give us that kind of courage. Remember the early church under the threat of persecution? Some of them beaten, some of them imprisoned, some of them executed. And the Bible says, and they went out and they, what? They preached boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that boldness came from the fact that they had been filled with the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God could sustain those first century Christians, He can do the same for us. Amen? Let's all stand together. Father, as we think back on this horrible story, the story of a man who was so intent on getting what he wanted that he was willing to to murder a king, and willing to declare war on a people. We think about those men and the women and even the little children that suffered horribly as a result of this one single man who was determined to get what he wanted. Oh, God, help us to understand that same sinful seed is somewhere in the depths of each and every one of us, in that old nature, that part of us, the vestiges of our old person that still there, always ready and willing to rise up in rebellion against You. As the song says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Lord, the only way any of us can succeed tonight is for us to draw close to You and to love You and to trust You. May You this night fill us with Your Spirit. Use us for Your glory. Protect us by Your power. In Jesus' name, as we lift our voice and as we sing tonight,